Well, we're uh, launching in further into the Word of God, and uh, I want you to come with me this morning to Colossians 2, verse 6. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is Paul in Colossians, great encouragement to us to celebrate the life that we have in Him. And then a little warning comes in in verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. Hello? What's this? See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. There's a lot of big words there. And not according to Christ. See, there are so many ways to view the world, aren't there? So many viewpoints and ideas and philosophies and the different ways that people see the world are so often not grounded in the way that the God wants us to see the world through His Word. And so Paul is writing to the church and says, just, just be on your guard. There's going to be a whole lot of opinions out there. A whole lot of different viewpoints, a whole lot of arguments, a whole lot of philosophizing going on. But it's not all right. How do you know what's correct? He says, see, don't, don't get stuck or taken captive by them according to the elemental spirits of the world. You know, according to what we see with our eyes. Not according to Christ. You see, we're talking about worldview this morning. It's a great, great way to start to understand the Word of God. And for some of you, the word worldview is a little odd. So I want, I want to take you into the journey of worldview to help us understand the way we can see the world and what kind, of, what kind of lenses we're looking through with the world. It, it's, a, it's a, I guess, a fundamental way that we see the world, the basic way we see reality. And you've probably been around long enough to know that the way somebody sees reality is very different to the way somebody else sees reality, depending on where they come from, their background, their history, their culture, their age, their gender, where they, you know, base their thoughts from, what they read. Actually, not everybody thinks like you in the world. Did you know that? I'm surprised to learn that sometimes. <laughs> but the current worldview in our society is what we call pluralistic. I mean, there's many, many views on the world, many, many ideas on how the world is constructed and made. And it's actually quite different to previous eras. When we had, maybe 50 years ago, a dominant worldview, I'm going to use these words a lot, a dominant way of seeing the world that most people agreed with, which probably aligned with what we might call the Judeo-Christian worldview, right? Bear with me. In other words, most people kind of understood that there was a God somewhere and things happened and that there was an end and there was a point in time where you died and you went to meet your maker. And, you know, with this kind of, even if you didn't believe in Christ, you kind of had this sense that, that life was traveling along like that, that, that marriage was good and that, um, you know, that, that family life and that you sort of went to school and got a good job and a career. And so we kind of had this very stable system a few world wars and a few cultural revolutions. And we've been in a very interesting flux of time. So we've got a very much different worldviews. But sometimes 
it's hard to understand that. So let me illustrate this with a little example. You might need to bear with me with this. Have you ever seen ghosts? Oh, here he goes. He's off his rocker this morning. I mean the TV series Ghosts. Now let me just up front lay a few things down before I talk about ghosts. Firstly, I, from a Christian worldview, I believe that we are destined to die and then face judgment. Right? That's what Hebrews 9.27 says. So I don't actually believe in this kind of intermediate thing that TV series talk about. Right? So bear with me. And I also believe from Scripture that we're not to talk to mediums. It's very clear in Leviticus about don't, don't engage with the afterlife, right? Even if you could. So there's all kinds of witchcraft and things that, that really is a no-go zone. So with those two things in mind, this TV series is a cracking example in worldview because it brings together time travel into one space. Like, who's Back to the Future fans? Do you remember that? Even if you're not old, you know, like, here's a guy who goes two different worlds and tries to take his own current worldview into that either previous time or ahead of time, right? And so you get a clash of ideas. But in this sitcom, you get all the worlds in one space from different eras. So let me introduce you to a few people to get the idea. Well, there's... Lady Fanny Button. Now, she's one of the ghosts. So all these people kind of used to live in this mansion. And they have a differing worldview on the house, depending on what time period they came from, right? And so they're kind of, they've died somehow, and somehow they kind of haunt this house and have a sense of ownership over the house. And one of the people who live there can kind of engage and, and talk in a kind of comical way. But Lady Fanny has a very stern view. You know, she's Edwardian, late 1800s, you know, Downton Abbey. She's that kind of character. Manners, order, the sort of uh, coherence and protocol. And so she's shocked sometimes at some of the things that go on in this house. Goodness. So she's the, the lady of the manor. And she sees the house from that perspective. Thomas Thorne, on the other hand, is, is a romantic poet. He died in about 1824. So think Jane Austen, you know, the sort of era of romantic poetry. And everything's romance and everything's words and poetry and gazing out the window and writing. Right? So he sees this house as, as a place for romance and literature and stories and poetry. Right? So you can see these people would, would clash. And then there's the captain. He, he's a World War II army officer whose who's everything about this house is rules and order and regulation and a war. Everything's a war. So if there's something that needs to be done, it's a war. Hop to it. And he's expecting commanding and, and, and authority and structures like that. And into this mix, you've got Alison, who is the current owner, a person, and her husband, Mike, who who are real people, and I guess they portray the contemporary life, the contemporary world of this society. Now, you, you can see how there'd be different viewpoints because of their different backgrounds, because of their, their different 
eras and the different societies they've come from, they're going to see things differently according to the way they've been brought up or the circumstances in which they have their life. And so I started thinking, I wonder how they would view the Bible from their worldview. I wonder how different people, and, and as an exercise in our world now, I wonder how different people view this book. Well, I think Lady Button, it would be a guide to morality and correct conduct. So she'd find scriptures that talk about how to be good, how to behave. Okay. Thomas, well, he would discover the Psalms, the literature, the poetry, and he'd get absorbed in, in all the, the deeper kind of uh, Psalms and structures. The captain, it would be a code of honor. It would be military, lots of military strategy in here. So he'd be diving into Joshua and the campaigns of Joshua and how he did that. Mike and Allison, the, the contemporary, you know, people who are living in our age, they'd be out the Bible. What is the Bible? Like, yeah, there's probably one in the library somewhere, but I haven't found it yet. And I haven't looked yet. See, the different eras, the different stages, and according to where you've come from, will shape the way you view the Bible. Today's world would interpret the Bible in that very much, well, it's up to you how you view that. And if you read something, you'd be going, well, it's up to your interpretation. What do you, what do you feel that it's saying to you? What do you think about this? How do you interpret it according to your worldview? And that's how we approach literature and history today. It's up to you. What do you think? And you can start to see that there's, there's going to be some problems because actually, I reckon we've got this upside down. If that's how we start to view the Bible as, well, whatever I think and whatever I've come from, whatever era I'm looking at it, it's going to change, isn't it? You see, that's upside down because, because the Bible is a divine book. It's, it's a holy book. And it's not up to us to look at it from our perspective. It actually illuminates us. It actually sets us alive. So the, so the Bible is like looking back at you. It's with brightness and intensity. It's like when you open the book, it's like you, we need to drop our agenda and our perspectives and our world and start to hear from the Word. It's why it's important to understand your world and the way you might see the world and sometimes to put those things aside. So the captain puts aside his military campaigns. The lady of the house puts aside her morality and good conduct. The poet puts aside his love of words and literature primarily and starts to understand that God is actually reading me through the pages, not I'm reading it. And today, like Scripture is a window through which God is revealed to us. It's like, it's like a portal. If I, could, if I could open this roof and peel back heaven's layers and see God, it's like I've just opened up a window to who God really is. Well, obviously I can't do that because I'd make a massive mess and the roof up there is horrible. But there is another way. 
if I could just, there's a window that helps me see, not my worldview, but God view. Helps me understand who God is according to what he's revealed. And then I find this book has divine origins. It was actually written by God through real people. You'll see real characters in here. You'll see Peter. You'll see James. You'll see Paul. You'll see Moses. You'll see Joshua. You'll see Ezekiel. Real people, real times, but yet divinely inspired. What other book does that? What other book is composed of 66 separate books written by 40 authors over 1,500 years? What other book does that? What other book gives that long-term perspective on life? What other book is a grand narrative, a huge story from beginning to end that gives meaning and purpose and identity and focus in life? What other book does that? I dare you to find one. What other book brings truth from the creator to the created? What other book reveals the mind and heart of the ultimate creator of the universe. We're singing holy, holy. That's beautiful, that song. But we can enter the holiness of God, not just through singing, but through the worship of God as we unpack who he is in this book. What other book has transformed the world? What other book is the most read book in history and has changed the course of nations? It's changed the course of empires. It's changed the course of individual lives. What other book can do that? What other book has transformed a soul just through engaging with this? There is no other book. There is no other book that gives us a window into eternity, into the things that are real, and it exposes the things that are not real. Back to Colossians. And so, with all that in mind, let's pick up the advice of Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy. And how he told us, or he told Timothy, how to, how to view this book. He says this in 2 Timothy 3.14. Timothy is a, I guess, an understudy of Paul. Paul is raising up Timothy as a, as a leader. And he's telling Timothy, he says, as for you, young man, Timothy, listen up. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you've learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say that all Scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul has a high view of the Scriptures, and, and it wasn't complete when he was talking about it, by the way. He's talking about the Old Testament there. But just back at verse 14, he says you can be acquainted with the sacred writings. You don't need to go on a, on a holy quest to find some sacred writing. Nick last week mentioned the, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, what an amazing find. 
You know, imagine being the boy who found that and, and found sacred writings and undoing a scroll. And I've actually seen some of these actual scrolls in a museum. It's astonishing. But you don't have to dig in a cave to find the sacred writings. It's just, it's just here. It's so easy. It's probably on your phone. You're probably texting verses. Like, th- these are sacred writings. These are, these are writings from God that you can grab hold of. You don't need to look at it too far. So, so what is it going to be this morning? Is it going to be Facebook or is it going to be the sacred writings? There's a difference, friends. There is a difference. There really is. But yet how often we're not drawn to the sacred writings, are we? We're drawn to the immediate, what's going on in our network. It makes us wise salvation. Who needs wisdom? Who'd like to actually understand what's going on in our world and understand how to, how to engage with God? Here it is. Just read it and you'll be wise for salvation. The salvation that connects us to God through Christ. It'll wisen us up. So Paul is saying, come on, Timothy, get into this. You will be acquainted with the sacred writings. You'll be wise for salvation. And then he says, you'll be equipped for every good work. Equipped, ready. Look at this. Look at this list. You'll be taught, he says. Taught. That means given instruction, particularly around doctrine, around what's true and what's not. You open up your word and, and God will teach you about what's true and right and honorable. You'll find that in this book, in the sacred writings. You'll be reproved. Now, that's not a word that we like these days, is it? Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to think. But actually, when you open up this book, sometimes you'll be convicted of your own sin or unrighteousness and sense that I'm not quite what I thought I was, and it sort of undoes us a little bit. You know what? That's not a bad thing for us. Did you know that? I know. I, I don't like being told what to do or that I'm not right here or there, but actually, it's one of the best things that we can do is actually to hear from God how maybe, maybe that's not so great. <laughs> maybe the way you spoke to that person, well, that's not so good. Because he wants to help you improve that. So it's like a mirror. And then you'll be corrected, which, which means made upright. Like being reproved is one thing. It's telling somebody what's going on. But then being corrected is actually helping them to do it right. Makes sense. So we don't just tell people, that's wrong, that's not good. Actually, hey, here's a better way. And so you'll find that in the Bible, not just reproof, but, but correction. And then training in righteousness, that's integrity and virtue, and purity, and uprightness, and correctness. Like these words, that's what it means to be an upright, righteous kind of person. Don't you want to be full of integrity? Don't you want to be the, what you are on the outside to be the same as you are on the inside with nothing to hide? That's integrity. Don't you want to be that person who just, you, you say yes, and you do it, and you say no, and you don't? Don't you want to be that kind of clean person who is trustworthy and reliable in all they do. Our, our world needs people like that at every level, at every age. That's, that's what this Word will do for you. It will transform your life to be 
not living a double life, but actually to living a life of integrity and wholeness so that your soul is not ripped apart, but it's together. All, all this is just, it's just from this little book. It's, it's a window into heaven, but it's also God's window into your soul. And, and it helps us to connect. Regardless of how you might come to the Word from whatever worldview you've got, you'll actually start to find that it transforms the way you think and the way you act, no matter what era you're from, no matter where you are. What I'd like to do in the next five minutes is demonstrate how this works. I'm going to get Mark to jump up here. Because it's all good to talk about this. And it's good to go, yeah, I've got that, believe that. But I want to show you the power of the Word of God this morning. Because Romans 12 says this. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to the world's thinking and the way it views everything. The world meaning just the way that most people in our world think and act and behave. Don't, don't, you don't need to be like that. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is where the battle is. This is where we've got to discern what's right. And that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, so don't, don't allow everybody else's thinking to change what you think. Allow the Word of God to change your thinking. Then, then you'll know what's good and acceptable and perfect. And, and, and as you read through the Bible systematically, book by book, not flick by flick. Where's my favorite verse? I've lost it. Oh, dear. I don't know where it's gone. Here's a good one. Uh, when a large crowd of Jesus learned that Jesus was there, they came to kill him. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, uh, dead to sin. Was, uh, I like that one. Head, head coverings. Holy. Sons and heirs. God fool. Uh, Jesus, thank you for this day. Like, that's not really engaging in the Word of God. But if you systematically read it through, even if it's a chapter a day, book at a time, you will start to get it. So, so don't, don't be a, a flicker. Be a reader. Understand the context, the history, the geography, the time and the space of that book. And then start to understand what God is saying through that. Here's an example. Just yesterday, I'm reading through Psalms. I'm forever reading through the Psalms. I came across in my reading of Psalm 40 because that was the psalm for the day, according to my reading plan. And I get to Psalm 40, verse 4, and it says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. And as I read that, I thought, oh, there's something. I felt the Holy Spirit go, read that again. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Stop. What, what, what does blessed mean? That's a funny word. Does this mean happy? 
happy. Happy, happy is the man, the woman, who makes the Lord his trust. Huh. So, so happiness, true happiness comes when the Lord is my trust. True happiness comes when I'm trusting in God. So, so I'm kind of chewing on this. I'm processing it in my mind, right? Prayerfully going, Lord, something here for me. And then, then I felt like God said, well, our world thinks differently to that. <laughs> okay, yeah, I know. I know, God. <laughs> People think crazy things. <laughs> I feel like God said, well, you think differently to that sometimes. God, no, 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 no. I'm always trusting you, Lord. And as I just reflected and prayed, I just started to think of all the things in my life that I trusted to make me happy. <laughs> and I started to write them down. It's like, people, people make me happy. Money makes me happy. Fulfillment at work makes me happy. Possessions make me happy. Success make me happy. Influence makes me happy. Power can make me happy. Experiences, holidays. Concert. I didn't get to go to Taylor Swift. Is that yet? Is that when's that? That's coming. When is that? Who is that? Just kidding. You see, we, we have all these things that we think we're gonna look at to make us happy, don't we? I just I just gotta get more friends. I just gotta get married. I just gotta get kids. I've I just gotta get more money and that and then I'll be happy. I've gotta get that dream job and then yeah, yeah, I'll I will I will. I've made it. I've just got to get successful at something. I've got to get influence. I've got, there's got to be people who are going to follow me on Instagram and I can, I can talk to the world and they're going to follow me. And then I'll be happy. I want power, political power. I want experiences. I want a fine meal. Then I'll, then I'll be. But what does the Lord say? Happy is the person who makes the Lord is trust. You see, I, I could come at this word from all these other angles or I could just sit under the word of God and believe what I actually know to be real, that trusting God is actually the key to happiness in life. Because all these things, well, some of them are okay, but they're not going to change my life. But the Lord makes me happy. Now that's, that's just a little, little thing. That's just one verse. It's the power of a verse. And the Holy Spirit, as you read through the Bible, just goes, read that again. You better be listening because there's gold there. You, you can be rebuked, right? That's okay. You can be corrected. That's okay. It's good for you. It's good for your soul. And then you can be trained in righteousness. And then you can see perspective. And then you can pick yourself up and go, man, I love this because it's true. Because something testifies on the inside that this is actually true. I can't begin to tell you how much I love this book. And even sometimes it's a wrestle to read it. Even sometimes there are passages I just don't get. I'm telling you, there is nothing else on the planet like this book. And it is the key to life. 
And I'm, I'm hoping that this year you discover it in a brand new way. That this month, as we unpack this idea of worldview, that you drop the way you might view the Word of God and let it view you. And it's going to transform your world. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we come with trepidation. We come with anxieties. We come with lack of understanding. We come with, I've done this before and it didn't work. But Lord, what we do is we come around your Word. Church on Sundays. We come around your church at life groups. We come around a church at our own personal devotional time. And I'm praying the blessing of this word on every single person here and online. Every single person that they would they would get a, a, a love for your word. And they'd start to see the transformation and they'd continue in the journey. Lord, they'd build some of it build in years, decades of experience in your world that there'd still be a passion for your word. Lord, even those in a in a church who've been doing this for a long time and doing it well. I'm praying in this season, there's even now a freshness of newness of life in this Word. Holy Spirit, forgive us for bringing our agendas and our world view to theirs. And let us sit humbly under Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen.